On the global stage, India and China are becoming key players in terms of total number and valuation of startups following the United States. Based on the 2023 Global Startup Ecosystem Index by Startup Bling, China leads in Asia-Pacific with seven cities in the regional top 20, followed by India and Australia. Jakarta's progress has been remarkable as well. It has joined the top 10 cities in the region. According to the Asian Development Bank, investments in Vietnamese tech startups reached a record high of $1.4 billion following the pandemic. Fintech, blockchain, e-commerce and health tech are some emerging subsectors that receive increasing attention from investors and founders. Super apps such as Grab, Gojek, Kakao and Tokopedia make essential services including communication, transportation, banking and delivery accessible to millions every day. They do this by leveraging rising smartphone penetration in the region. Some important drivers of the startup ecosystem in Asia-Pacific are rapid digital transformation as well as expanding awareness and initiatives around sustainability. Demographic characteristics such as the growing consumer class, workforce and digital natives also contribute. For decades, Silicon Valley has been the center for entrepreneurship and innovation. But is it facing a strong competitor now? Can Asia-Pacific become home to a similar ecosystem and create the new generation Silicon Valley? Welcome to Asia Perspectives from Economist Impact. I'm Bilge Arslan. You are listening to the eighth episode of the series, Shelter from the Storm, Investing in the Era of Uncertainty. In our previous episode, we spoke about investment opportunities and risks in India. In today's episode, we will focus on the startup ecosystem in Asia and discuss how investors and founders can unlock entrepreneurship in the region. The podcast series is supported by Equities First. The opinions of our guests are their own and editorial control remains with Economist Impact. Two guests are joining us today to share their expertise on the topic. Joining us from Bangkok, we have Amra Naidu. Amra is co-founder and general partner at Accelerating Asia, an early-stage accelerator venture capital fund that invests in high-growth startups in Asia. In this role, Amra particularly supported social impact-driven startups. She also led initiatives focusing on gender lens investments, social entrepreneurship, and corporate responsibility. Amra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here today. From here in Singapore, we have Jeffrey Payne. Jeffrey is co-founder and managing partner at Golden Gate Ventures, a seed and series A VC firm investing in Southeast Asian startups. He leverages artificial intelligence and machine learning to aid the investment process. Jeffrey also launched Founder Institute in Singapore, a pre-seed startup accelerator, and helped with expansion in Southeast Asia. He especially contributed to the development of the Singapore startup ecosystem. Great to have you join us today, Jeffrey. Thank you for having me. Look forward to the chat. Great. So... I'd like to start with some general overview 
and ask both of you, what are some of the drivers of the startup ecosystem in Asia Pacific from your experience? Are you in general positive about the prospects of the region's development in the space? Maybe, Jeffrey, let's start with you. Yeah, I think right now in 2023, we are still extremely bullish on what's happening here. I think if you look at all the growth rates, Southeast Asia is leading the way around the world. There's a certain reason why. And stability-wise, you know, within um, the political situation around the region is, is also fairly favorable. It sounds like there are a lot of exciting opportunities. Amra, if I can come to you now to better understand the specific emerging sectors you're interested in. So we are seeing fintech, deep tech and Web3 becoming increasingly popular. On the other hand, there is the sustainability space, of course, and the rise of e-commerce startups and even super apps in the region. So what are you focusing on and where do the opportunities lie for you? So we're a sector agnostic investor, meaning that we invest across every industry. I think some of the more common investments that we tend to make are in emerging markets. They're typically investments into businesses which are digitizing traditional industries. I'd say embedded finance is another section of the portfolio. So you'll see a lot of agri-solutions or supply chain solutions which have embedded fintech in there. I'm sure most people like to invest in companies that create impact and have the potential to scale. It is a difficult thing, though, balancing both of those. And so when we make those investments, we like to invest into businesses which have impact embedded into the business model itself. Jeffrey, would you like to add any other sectors? I think when you ask the question, it is actually sectors that covered for the last 12 years. The next three or five years, it will be a little bit more B2B and deep tech and fintech will probably not go away. Although the pace of innovation within fintech is slowing down, but there should be quite a number of demand in terms of products and services in the region. But the bigger areas, for example, in healthcare, software for the micro SMEs, and of course, interest in climate, those are still going to be pretty important for the next few years. But at the same time, the challenge here is not about the sectors. The challenge here is can you make money to return the fund? There are plenty of problems in our region, um, just like any other region. So there are plenty of solutions to fix the problems. But are they big enough for venture investors? That's a different topic. Both of you mentioned impact as a driving factor across sectors. Jeffrey, going back to your point, whether VCs can find startups that are capable of tackling some of the critical problems in the region, in your experience, has it been promising so far? I would say the answer is yes, depending on your fund size, what geography you're covering, what sectors you're covering. Are things changing? I would say in Southeast Asia, before 2022, kind of a correction, we didn't have a downturn before. So that actually brought about a lot of investors and a lot of founders. We need more organizations like Exclaving Asia, you know, that can help with the earlier stage side to make sure the ideas at the start are big enough for every single stage of investors to participate in their growth. 
Amra, I also want to go back to the term that you used, impact embedded in the business model. There is a lot of discussion around whether financial returns and impact can coexist. How do you ensure that the startups you're working with can drive impact, but at the same time attract investors and funding while becoming scalable? Jeffrey mentioned something earlier, which is that there are a lot of big problems to solve in this region. And I think entrepreneurs are often at the forefront of solving these problems, whether they think of themselves as creating impact or not. I think in my experience as a venture fund, you go out there looking for solutions that are impact first. You tend not to be able to justify the commercial side of the business or making investments into these businesses as well. And so that's kind of how we've landed on impact embedded into the business model. So Accelerating Asia, although I guess we're technically an impact investor, it's not something that we lead with. When we're recruiting, it's a part of the criteria, but it's not something that we would turn down a startup, you know, if they haven't been able to communicate their impact in some way, we definitely won't. And that's just kind of what we found is that when we're speaking with entrepreneurs, they're going out there and solving a business problem first. But based on the fact that they're in this region, there is often huge impact as part of that too. Thanks for that, Amra. Now I want to shift our focus to the countries that are really building the successful healthy startup ecosystem in the region. Singapore and Indonesia are leaders when it comes to creating unicorns. And which countries do you think are really promising? And what differentiates them from other countries? How can other countries adopt these best practices to really drive progress in this space? Maybe I can start with you, Jeffrey. I guess there's two questions. One is which country is growing as far as a number of startups, number of uh, interesting ones, and, and maybe funds raised. I would say it definitely started with Singapore, Indonesia, and then it kind of like spread out for a bit, and then it kind of retreated back a, a little bit. So now it's Singapore, Indonesia, and they are still going on. Uh, Vietnam is the one that is coming up. It kind of started in 2019 and is going strong. Close behind is Philippines. If you give them one or two years, they will probably be beyond pace to get there. Um, but as far as government involvement, policies and uh, commitment, I would say Singapore, Indonesia and uh, Malaysia has been fairly active. And then Thailand and Philippines is still a little bit behind. You highlighted the importance of the public sector, Jeffrey. Amra, would you like to add anything to that? I think maybe something a little bit unique for Accelerating Asia is our activity in Bangladesh. That's still early to see whether this bet will pay off, (laughs) but there are a lot of things there that we're excited about, you know, young population, interest from the government as well, and initiatives that they're pulling together to try and really grow the startup ecosystem there. But obviously, there's a lot of big problems to be solved in a country like Bangladesh too. And so we get some really resilient entrepreneurs coming out from there. The podcast series Shelter from the Storm, Investing in the Era of Uncertainty, is supported by Equities First. A word from our sponsor. 
Equities First is proud to celebrate 20 years of pioneering progressive capital. We provide access to liquidity in 33 equity markets at favorable terms, while our partners retain 100% of the equity upside appreciation. Your interests are aligned with ours for the long term. Equities First is your solution for redefined financing. For more information, please visit equitiesfirst.com. I'd like to understand a bit more about the ecosystem players as well. In the first quarter of 2023, Asia actually saw the lowest quarter of venture capital investments since 2015. Many factors might have contributed to that. But from your experience, I want to understand what is the missing factor here. Is that more the financial support from the fundraising and venture capital side? Amra, you mentioned the importance of accelerator programs, for instance. Is there a lack of mentorship training or public pitch opportunities such as demo days? So I think from our perspective and why we have set up the way that we have is that there's a lot of very, very early stage ecosystem support. So there are, you know, increasingly a number of venture builders setting up. There's a lot of incubators in the region. And then on the other end of the spectrum, increasingly, there are a lot of funds coming into the region too. But what we've seen is that there is difficulty bridging the two. So once someone has an idea getting early traction, but enough traction in order to attract people like Jeff. Usually this could take a year. I mean, depending on the type of industry, obviously with the startup, the founders and all of those factors, but there is usually a time period between you coming up with the idea and then receiving institutional investment. And so this is the area that we play in. Typically we take in founders that have early traction, they have users, they have revenue, they probably raised a little bit of money in their home country, and they're starting to talk to institutional investors, but probably being turned away because they're a little bit too early. Jeff, what are your thoughts? Going back to what I said earlier, the quality of founders dropped over time because, you know, we don't have downturns to kind of dissipate the ones that are weak, the ones that are not committed. And because of that, quality of investors went down as well. And because of that, there's also another thing where the guys with experience that used to do early, they are now raising larger funds, so they tend to do a slightly later stage. Which means at every gap, there's always new people in it. And the quality kind of dissipates from there. So with that, and cheap capital and crossover funds and everybody else flying in to invest everywhere, then what happens is the discipline of investing goes down. Nobody spends a lot of time on research because they don't have time because you need to answer to a founder within a week whether you want to invest or not. I would say probably the high was probably like in late 2018. Before that, it kind of started in the US, actually it started in 2007. Now, the other thing is the more you do what we do, then you slowly realize we are not stacked the same. If you are investing outside the Bay Area, um, you're your game of investing is different. For example, our number one criteria is market size. And once people face that market size issue, right, which is should I conquer one market and then go to the next four within four years, within the first year, when should I go out? Can I even go out? So there's a lot of work that we need to do at the founder level, the investor level to help them think bigger and actually do it. That's the harder part. Thanks for that, Jeffrey. 
You highlighted the importance of the quality of investments and how investors need to consider different factors when they're investing in different regions across the world. I have a question regarding the startup teams you've been working with. How does talent contribute to the ecosystem in the region? Does the skills gap create any roadblocks for founders or investors when they're building startups? I mean, in terms of attracting both more academically driven team members and employees experience on the commercial side. I would say the different teams need different people at different stages. And the fact that remote work now is a little bit more understood. So it makes things slightly easier. So I think at the moment, it's more about the founder's preference and culture fit. Some founders want people in physically in the office, some wants to speak a certain language, but some other founders, they don't really care. I think because of, I guess, how relatively early the startup ecosystem is in certain markets, there is a gap of what's normal, what's not when it comes to investment terms, models for running their businesses. And that's where we find mentors from other markets do um, are effective. Having said that, it's really hard if you have a mentor from, say, the US for them to actually really understand the local context. And so a lot of it does have to be kind of experienced. But we are starting to see, you know, second time, third time founders coming out from this region or people who are very early on in a startup that has done quite well, you know, early employees. And they're coming out and starting their own businesses or starting their own teams. And that knowledge, I think, is really valuable for this local ecosystem. Thanks, Amra. Corporate ventures are also shaping the startup ecosystem as one of the key players. How do they play a role in the region? Amra, if I can come back to you on this to really understand the topic from your professional experience. Well, I mean, the background for Accelerating Asia is that we, myself and my co-founder Craig, used to work for a corporate venture. I think there's a place for them, definitely, in terms of maybe a certain type of startup that's a good fit, you know, in terms of having a corporate as a client, or there's something very, very targeted and specific that a corporate has to offer. But in my experience, and maybe I'm biased, is that they usually slow things down. <laughs> they have a set agenda, right? And it's not necessarily in the best interest of the startup itself. And then I think any type of startup engagement program coming out of a corporate needs to be very specific about what the actual outcome is. Because otherwise, there's no long-term objective there. Changeover in leadership, the program gets shut down, and it's like millions of dollars wasted. Jeffrey, what do you think? So let's say if a region has a gap in capital, then corporates may be able to fill that gap as an investor. And then if there are customers, that's great because it's a very good logo for you to get the next customer. But on the flip side, they also have their own agenda, irregardless if you're a customer or not. Uh, because a corporate you know, is part of the ecosystem they need to work with startups, they need to buy from startups, they need to endorse them, they need to sometimes acquire them, and then startups need to hire people from corporates, right? So there's a history of personal relationships everywhere. Excellent. Thanks for that. I now want to shift our focus to risks and challenges a bit. 
So are there specific risks you seen in your work in Asia Pacific that kind of prevent investors and founders from getting involved in the region's startup ecosystem? This could be economic, political, financial conditions, or any other risks that you encountered. Maybe Amra, I can start with you. I think for risks for people coming into this region would probably be an understanding of what's going on locally. So when we talk to investors who are coming in from other markets, they have no idea about what's going on on the ground in, say, Philippines, and yet they're deploying capital there with like really weird terms and documents. And more often than not, they get burnt <laughs> with that process. It's just maybe ignorance or not doing research. It's really understanding that there are so many different things that you have to think about. And that can make it quite difficult to operate here. I mean, for us, we have legal support as in law firms that we tap on in pretty much every country. Jeffrey, would you like to add anything to that? I think, first of all, if you want to spend time here, spend time here, right? Don't do a one-week trip and pack your entire day with meetings. And then most people are putting on a facade. You, you don't really know what they're telling you. Uh, you can't really ask the pointing questions. They are not going to share with you what's really happening. So if, if you want to understand a place, there are different ways to do it. Understand how corporates work, families work, governments work how different parts of the region works from culture to how things actually work, right? Spending time with foreigners who've been there for a long time, asking them what are the challenges they face. Some will be blunt, some will not be blunt, so you need to speak to enough of them in order to get a picture. There's a bit of uh, homework to do. And then if you look at broader Asia-Pacific, there's many, many countries, so it is a commitment. Seems like really understanding the diversity of the region is key. I guess... One of the other challenges is really bridging the gap between academic research and commercial markets to establish this ecosystem. At a commercial level, how can research translate into startups that provide products and services in the market? Do any of you have any views on this one? I think from what we've seen with working with technology that's spinning out of universities is that they often come from a very academic background and we have to essentially kind of do a venture builder model and bring in a CEO or someone more commercial. And I think there are other players in the ecosystem that do that to do that quite well. So we have really stayed away from that side at this point. The next three or five years, there's going to be a lot more deep tech and there will be a lot more spin-outs. The question is, where are they spinning out from? So the number one challenge has always been the team, right? Most of them will not quit their tenured position to do anything. So then they are kind of part-time consultant. That means you have to either hire their postdocs or headhunter CEO. So that's fine. That's been working well at Oxford. It's been working out for seven, eight years. Then the next challenge is, are there enough investors that understand deep tech investing, which is quite challenging. Um, so usually what happens is outside of the US, at Series B and C, there's going to be a gap because there's not enough money to do really higher risk kind of stuff. Thanks so much both for this thought-provoking discussion. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? I think there's a lot of hype about fundraising and venture capital, but not all founders should be raising money from VCs. 
And there is a place for different types of business models, different types of funding opportunities. And then to kind of double down on something that we were speaking about before is to really understand the region. There's so much nuance between every single market. There's so much that's not said as well until you really go into these places and you understand and you learn the culture and you learn how things work there. But I think the the final thing that I would like to leave on is that this is a really exciting market to be working in. There are so many big problems to be solved. There's so many entrepreneurs. There's a lot of energy in this region. Yeah, I would say for investors, be a bit more data-driven, do a lot more research, uh, do work things backwards and try to ask for help and advice. Investing in startups, especially early stage, so it's a craft. It takes a long time. And investing in different regions are actually quite different. So there's no one-size-fits-all. There's enough data to kind of figure things out, right? Things like how big should your fund size be? That's fairly easy to use math to figure out, but a lot of people don't know how to figure it out. And lastly, founders take care of your mental health. It's a long, 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 long journey. Irregardless of what business you're building, every startup is extremely hard to do. So take care of yourself. That's all we have time for today. Thank you, Amra and Jeffrey, for sharing your views and insights. And thank you to our listeners for spending time with us. The series is supported by Equities First and is part of Asia Perspectives from Economist Impact. If you have any feedback or questions about this podcast or any work from Economist Impact, email us at asiaperspectives at economist.com. Please make sure to subscribe so that you receive updates when new podcast episodes become available. From the editorial team at Economist Impact, thank you for listening.